Hello? Can you hear me okay? We live? All right. Uh, well, good morning. Like, uh... <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, as Dr. Ray said, uh, for those of you that I haven't met before, my name is Andrew Ward. I'm on staff here at the Vineyard. I'm the director of Family Ministries. And so uh, when Adam you know, said at staff that we were going to do a series on family and asked if anybody wanted you know, to, to have a turn, I kind of jumped at the chance because this is uh, you know, families. You know, that's something that's near and dear to my heart. Okay, uh, happen to be involved in a family. <laughs> Uh, now, Bobby, uh, if I understand correctly, this is being broad- broadcast live around the world, right? Are we live? No? Just here. Still good news. The good news is this is going to be broadcast live here in this room. For those of you, we're going to be live today. Uh, but we're, we're good to go, right? All right. Um, yeah, I want to start out, uh, well, first of all, uh, next week there's going to be two really important things that are going to be taking place, okay? Uh, first of all, Dr. Ray is going to be uh, coming and bringing uh, a word on uh, raising kids and you know that part of the family dynamic. If you haven't been, uh, been here for this whole series, Adam did a wonderful introduction the first, uh, for the first week, and that's on, uh, on the Internet, on the archives. Uh, Heather last week spoke on wives, and uh, hopefully uh, we had some technical difficulties, but hopefully we're going to be able to, to get that up uh, at some point as well. And, of course, I'm speaking on husbands today, and Dr. Ray is going to bring the message on, uh, on kids, being parents, and that stuff. So that's going on next week, and then also next week is our least of these offering, just to give you a heads up. Um, we do that at the end of each month, so just be uh, asking the Lord what he might have you uh, to do. All right? Cool. All right, so today we're talking about husbands, right? And uh, hopefully that there's going to be some, some things that we're going to talk about today that even if you're not a current husband or not even an aspiring husband, uh, you know, if you're a, a wife or aspiring wife or whoever you are, uh, hopefully there's going to be some truths uh, throughout the morning uh, that will speak to you in some way. So that's, that's my prayer anyway. Uh, I need to set this up a little bit before I really get into to our topic. And I want to talk a little bit about how we uh, sometimes handle the Scripture. And this is going to be important for for what we do today. So uh, hang with me. We'll get to husbands in in just a minute. But, you know, there there is a little bit of a misconception among some that the Lord tends to be really far off and He's not that really engaged or interested in what's happening with us here. And, of course, you know, we we certainly don't believe that. We believe the Lord uh, is intensely involved in our lives and wants to be involved in our lives. And I think, uh, you know, the Lord really wants to make himself known to us. And just one example of that is how he uh, goes through so many extreme measures to reveal himself to us in ways that we can understand. You know, he's a supernatural God, of course. And, you know, there's a lot of things that, gosh, I don't even think we really have the capacity to to really truly grasp. I mean, we start getting into things like, you know, eternity and, and, uh, you know, the, the Trinity and all these things, I think we can understand a little bit. Uh, but there's some things, gosh, I don't even know that we really have the capacity to understand. And so it's really sweet of the Lord uh, in his word and through other measures to, to go out of his way to really reveal himself in ways that we can actually kind of wrap our heads around. One example being how he's so often referred to in the scripture as the Father, right? Because that's something we can wrap our heads around. 
we, for the most part, know what a good father should look or be like, okay? Uh, and, you know, God has referred to the father. This, I knew it was a lot, but it kind of blew my mind when I was studying a little bit. That Over 200 times in the New Testament alone, God's referred to as the father. And then uh, not as much in the Old Testament, but uh, in the Old Testament as well. And so I think that's really sweet of the Lord to speak in ways that we can, you know, understand and get a better picture of who he is. And so basically what we're doing there is we're taking our life experiences and our understanding and then applying that to the Lord. Okay? Okay, God is a father. I have some understanding of what a father is, and I'm going to apply that knowledge to God. That's a good thing. I think that's very intentional of the Lord for us to do that. But I think there's uh, something else that we can do as well that's also of, of maybe equal value is that we can sort of flip that equation and instead of just using our life experiences to influence our interpretation of the Word, we can use the Word to shed light on our life experiences. So not only can we say, you know, God is the Father, so what does that say about God? But we can say, okay, if God is a Father, what does that say about being a Father and what a Father should be and what a Father's role is? You know, we take what we know about the Lord and then we let that shed light on our life experiences and say, okay, how does that define what being a father is really about? And so how that impacts us today, and this is really where my whole uh, message is going to spring from, is that over a dozen times, or around a dozen times in the Scripture, uh, Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom, or the husband, right? And the church is referred to as the bride. Uh, and there's even some prophetic words in the Old Testament that uses a, a similar analogy. So I think that's significant. And I think it's a perfectly good thing for us to look at that and say, okay, so what does that say about Jesus? And what does that say about the church? But what we're going to do today is say, okay, if Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride, what does that tell us about being a husband and our relationship to our, to our wives? What kind of light does that shed on that relationship? That Jesus would compare himself to being a husband and the church to being a bride. What does that inform us about our lives and how, how we should be husbands and how the church and how we should relate to our, to our wives? And that's where you know, everything we're going to talk about today flows from that. So if you'll indulge me, let's practice that other way of interpreting the Scripture, of not just letting our life experience influence Scripture, but letting... The scripture influence our life experiences. You guys, uh, you guys cool with that? Can we do that this morning? Cool. All right. So let's start with uh, one of the key passages. We'll, we'll probably come up to the Ephesians 5. Let's bring that up, Erica. <laughs> or I can read it. I'll read it. All right. Uh, Ephesians 5.22. Uh, if you, you can turn there if you like, or you can uh, uh, follow along up on the wall if you don't have your Bibles with you. Ephesians 5, 22, and so on. Uh, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the Lord is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, uh, should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, 
Uh, and let me see, I'm going to skip a little bit. This is a long passage. And then down again where it says, uh, husbands ought to love their, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Uh, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. So we just see this, you know, this back and forth comparison between Christ and the church and us and our relationships to our wives. And uh, this, again, isn't the only place in Scripture where this uh, comparison is made. Excuse me. All right. So when I started thinking along these lines, the very first thing that popped out to me, all right, so what about Christ's relationship to the church? Is that significant when thinking about you know, our relationship to our wives? And the very first thing that came to my mind was the knowledge and the truth that Jesus really pursues his bride. Jesus really pursues the church. And I think what's maybe revelatory for some of us uh, that's kind of counter, it runs counter to our culture, is that Jesus' pursuit of the church extends way past our initial relationship with him. That he doesn't stop pursuing us just because we receive him as Lord. Uh, and, and enter into a relationship. That's not where his pursuit ends. His pursuit extends through the duration of our lives. Uh, Philippians, let's see, Philippians 1.6. All right, yeah, the ongoing pursuit. Uh, Philippians 1.6, uh, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I think one of the key words there is the word began. He began a good work. Coming into a relationship with Jesus is just the beginning. All right? And this is, I think, significant because uh, our, our culture around us really paints a little bit of a different uh, message. We have some influences at, at work here, whether it's Hollywood or TV. Um, the emphasis is really on the pursuit that leads up to uh, the marriage, right? Uh, most of you are probably, I'm sure, familiar with the show Friends, Right? Ran for 10 years. Most you know, sitcoms don't seem to run that long anymore. And the central relationship in that show was who? Ross and Rachel. It took them 10 years to get those two together to stay. Literally, spoiler alert, the last episode of the series, they got together uh, for good. You know, they got together, they broke up, got together, broke up, etc., and that's because I assume that the writers were either unwilling or unable to write them happily together in a way that was compelling or interesting. And I think that's pretty common in the world of TV. Uh, any fans of The Office, TV show The Office? I am. A lot of people, I think, argue that since two central characters, Jim and Pam, got together, that, they're right, that they've lost a little steam in the show, right? Again, the writers don't really seem to know how to write a compelling story where people are happily married. Uh, coincidentally, yesterday, I was doing some heavy reading. I do some heavy reading in my free time. This is uh, the Green Lantern on Entertainment Weekly. I had just finished War and Peace, and so I started reading an article about Miley Cyrus. <laughs> Hannah Montana to delay person. Um, but I ran into this article that I thought was really interesting, uh, this guy named Mark Harris, and 
don't really vibe with most of the article, but there was a paragraph that, that I thought really connected to what we're talking about today. I was just talking about TV, but the same epidemic is true in Hollywood, in the film industry. He says, as I tried to recall films about marriage, I was startled to realize that the best ones that occurred to me, and he lists a few, were all A, about divorce, or B, at least 30 years old. I could conjure plenty of movies where the closing credits roll at the altar, but those all present marriage as the end of the story, insisting that the words I do signify the moment at which your life's journey ceases to be of interest. Here's the thing that I find maybe most disturbing about this is I don't know if this is a matter of us being influenced by art or if art is just reflecting what's actually happening in our society. That, you know, that this is true in a lot of homes. That the grand pursuit seems to end at the wedding ceremony or maybe after the the newlywed period is over. And so maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe it's, you know, a little circular there that we're being influenced by art and art's reflecting what's really happening. What we need to realize and what we need to understand, guys, is that our wives are worth pursuing all the days of our lives. Right? You with me on that? What I'm, what I'm really talking about is demonstrating a, a, a lifestyle, you know, through our word and our actions that we love and we value our wives. I'm not talking so much about, you know, the kind of pursuit where you're, you're, you're trying to you know, to win their, you know, affection or approval. I'm not talking about something that's performance-based. I'm talking about a lifestyle where you're demonstrating your wife's value, right? Uh, I, I feel like it would be a little disingenuous to, to speak about husbands if I didn't, you know, talk a little bit to my personal uh, experiences. And to be really honest, you know, I've, I've made plenty of mistakes, right? I have, it's the truth. Uh, yeah, I've, I've done you know stupid things before I was married. I've made choices since we've been married. I've made bad choices, bad decisions, made mistakes since we've had kids. And most likely, we'll continue to make some bad decisions here and there along, along the way. But one thing that I've done well, one thing I really believe that I've done well, is I picked a good woman and I pursued her. And I pursued her. And I pursued her in a way that was good and that was, and that was healthy. That's one of the good things that I've done, right? Uh, some of you don't know this. A lot of you don't know this. But, you know, Sarah and I dated for about six weeks or so. <laughs> and then she dumped me. This is where you say, aw. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, she did. But now, here's the truth, all right? Don't, don't get mad. Here's the truth. Uh, at that, certainly, you know, during that season, Sarah was admittedly, she was a little more in tune with what the Lord was doing at that time than I was. The timing really wasn't right for us to be together at that time. And so Sarah had the wisdom to recognize that. And so we, we, we didn't date right then uh, for a little while, for a season. And so there was a season where I wasn't pursuing her, but I was really pursuing her. Uh Sarah valued our friendship, so we, we stayed in, you know, in, in a pretty close uh, you know, friendship uh, relationship. And so what I did was you know, I, I was working to, you know, to honor the things that she wanted 
but at the same time, I was really also pursuing her. But pursuing her in a way that, that was, you know, I think not uncomfortable, that wasn't, you know, disrespectful to the, to the boundaries of, you know, not dating. You know, I was a friend to her. I was there when she, you know, when she needed uh, a friend and occasionally picked up, you know, her tab at the restaurant. You know, or occasionally I was a friend that, you know, gave her a stuffed animal or something. You know, whatever. So I wasn't pursuing her, but I was pursuing her, Right? So understand, guys, I'm, that's not a, I'm not trying to give you a license to stalk people that don't want to date you. <laughs> I was pursuing her within the parameters that were still com- comfortable, you know, uh, for her. Something, something that I did well. She went to the Middle East for a little while, for about six or seven months. We stayed in close contact, email, burned up some phone cards. When she came back, timing was different. She opened the door. I went in. We were married five months later, right? Yeah, it's a good thing. And, and I think we're doing pretty well, right? We don't have a perfect marriage. Yeah, we will argue, we'll, you know, whatever. But I think we're doing pretty good. And I think uh, we're a better married couple now. We're, we're pushing, we're bumping up against our uh, seven-year anniversary uh, in December. And I think we're a, very, a better married couple now than we were when we got married. And, you know, we did the newlywed thing, and, uh, and you know, we were giddy and the warm and fuzzies and, and all that stuff. But I'm telling you, and I believe Sarah would agree, that I wouldn't trade where we're at now for that season of being newlyweds. I wouldn't trade where we're at now for that period where, you know, we were in the, the grand pursuit that leads up to the the wedding I wouldn't trade that I would like to think that I'm a better husband now than I was when we got married I can definitely say you know Sarah was has always been a a wonderful wife but she's grown and grown and grown to an even better wife and so I wouldn't trade where we're at now for where we were then for anything right and part of that I hope and I think it's true part of the reason that, that we have a, you know, a good, good marriage is because the pursuit didn't stop when we got married. Dr. Ray, can I pick on you for a second? Okay. How recently would you say that you've discovered something new about candy? I mean, whether it's a piece of, inf- piece of information or a talent or something. Yesterday, as recently as yesterday. And how long have you been married? 32 years. So they've been married 32 years, and Dr. Ray is still discovering new things about his wife. I don't think that happens by accident, and I don't think that happens just over happenstance or, or, or uh, what's the word? Coincidence. That's the word I'm looking for. Thanks. Uh, I think it's ha- that happens because I know Dr. Ray and I know Candy and I know that they are aggressively pursuing each other and they're digging deeper and they're still 32 years into their marriage. You say 32, 34, 32 years of marriage. They're still wanting to know more and more about each other and to grow as uh, to grow as a as a couple, right? Is that safe to say? And often you discover good things. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes the discoveries, okay. <laughs> um, here's the thing, guys. 
and, and really for in, yeah, uh, specifically this is for guys. If you've been married a year or two and you feel like you've discovered everything there is to know about your spouse, then you're probably not pursuing her hard enough. You with me on that? If you've only been married a short while and you feel like you know everything you need to know or that there is to know about your spouse, then you're probably not pursuing her hard enough. Again, uh, the, your relationship to your spouse, it, it isn't about the thrill of the chase. It's about loving, living, learning, dating, communicating, serving, growing, experiencing life together. That's what the pursuit's about. So, and we see that in a really crystal clear picture when we look at how Jesus treats us as the church. He's pursuing us. He's pursuing us through all the days of our lives. In the same way, husbands, we need to be prepared. We need to set our minds that we're going to pursue our wives all the days of our lives. Cool. All right. How else can we pursue our wives? What else can we see about Jesus and his relationship to the church? What can we learn from it? Uh, The second one is what I call uh, the no-brainer point of the day. Love your wives. Sounds a little cliche, right? Uh, Jesus obviously loves his church. We need to love our wives. Uh, let me l- let me share a little bit more about it, though. I, I just I know it seems like a really really simple part of the equation here, uh, but I don't know how we can really talk about our relationship, you know, without without talking about the importance of loving our wives and how to love our wives. Uh, let's bring up the scripture there, Erica. Romans 5.8, and I think this is a beautiful picture of how Christ loves his church. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you're like me, I know that at times you can really get caught up in the performance-driven mentality of earning the Lord's approval. And I think this is a, a beautiful passage that really blows that mentality out of the water in that long before we ever had our stuff together, right? Even remotely had our stuff together. Christ died for us. He loved us through his actions. He demonstrated his love for us long before we even came close to entering into a relationship with him. His love was freely given before we made any attempt to enter into a relationship with him, before we made any attempt to get our lives together and straighten up. He loved us before all that. And again, if Christ is the model for how we should be relating to our wives, then our love certainly does not need to be based on any kind of performance for our wives. Right? Our love for our lives, for our wives, uh, should have really nothing to do with our homemaking skills, her financial contributions, uh, her ability to recognize that Monday night football's on and I don't want to change diapers. That's not me. I've heard other guys say that. That's not me. It's, uh, it's not based on performance. All right. Can we go back to, um, to Ephesians? I think I have that one up there again. Or it should be just the next one. Yeah. 
Um, all right, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the, head of the wife, as Christ the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior, etc. And then on down, 25 husbands, love your wives just as Christ uh, loved the church. I hope that you were here last week, and I hope that you heard Heather's message, because she uh, shed what I think was just some really good insight into this passage. And so I want to revisit just a little bit of that. This, this is... To me, this passage really speaks to what a partnership marriage is. Uh, You can dissect it, and you can just look at the wife's responsibility, and you can just look at the husband's responsibility, but I think we're missing a little something if we don't see how they're connected, okay? And that's, I think, a large part of what uh, Heather got got into uh, last week. And I'm going to take one little side note, one little tangent here. I know, especially in our culture... Uh, we can get caught up in some of the language here about, you know, the, the phrase submission, right? Just sounds awful. <laughs> uh, and, and Heather, I think, again, did a good job about illustrating how this is more about a heart posture than it is about being under the thumb of your husband, all right? It's more about a heart posture than it is about, you know, the husband's ability to, to boss his, his wife around. And, you know, some people go so far as to use examples like this in Scripture to call the Bible, you know, maybe archaic or outdated or culturally irrelevant. What I think people fail to see, and, and uh, Ray Hollenbach pointed this out to me, and I think it's, it's genius, that this language of wives submitting to their husbands, that was totally normal for the culture then, obviously, right? No, no, big, no big to do there. But what was what would be considered like groundbreaking, earth-shattering concepts is this admonition for the husbands to love and respect their wives. You didn't hear that kind of language back then. And so the, the concept that the wives' you know, submission is tied to the husbands' ability to love and respect their wives, that was actually light years ahead of its time. And so that, I think, is, a, is an example of the Lord speaking to the culture and moving against the grain of culture to speak truth uh, into, into our homes. Uh, so that's my little little side note there. So let's try not to get hung up on the on the words there about submission. Uh, this is something else that I think is interesting about the word submission. And again, we're looking at the the comparison between Christ's relationship to the church and our relationship to, to wives. Uh, particularly Christ's relationship uh, to to women, to that you know part of the church. I don't know many. Uh, women who are believers that really have too much of a a difficulty with that concept of submitting to Jesus. Right? Um, Not not that their lives are are perfect, but, you know, at least in terms of the concept, you know, most women I know that are followers of Jesus want to submit their lives to Jesus. So why is it so much easier to submit to the Lord and not to submit to our husbands. There's, it seems like those words take on such different meaning when we're talking about submitting to the Lord as it is submitting to our husband. And the thing is, is that obviously Jesus has demonstrated over and over and over his love for all mankind, but we're talking about women, his love for women. So women, you're able to submit to the Lord because you don't really have too many doubts that the Lord loves you, that he's for you, that he's out you know, for you to, you know, to protect you and to lead you in ways that are going to benefit you 
And so that makes it so much easier to submit to the Lord because you trust what he's doing, right? So husbands, we need to learn from the Lord and we need to love our wives so thoroughly and demonstrate consistently that we are for them, you know, that, that we're out for them, that, that we're not out to lead them down you know, wrong paths, that we're, that we're for them. And if we can love them that thoroughly, then the submission, really, that issue becomes, really, I think, a non-issue. If we live our lives in a way and love our wives in a way that their trust comes to us easily. So, um, I, I think the manner in which we love our wives is going to impact their ability to have that heart posture that Heather was talking about, and it's so circular. Uh, but, guys, we need to do our part and love our wives with the same kind of self-sacrificing love that Christ demonstrates. All right, so we need to pursue our wives. We need to love our wives. And this one, I think, for a lot of us, this next point, is a challenge. Make yourselves known. Jesus works really, really hard to make himself known to the church. In so many different ways. We already talked about it a little bit, you know, how the Lord uses language that we can understand. And Jesus certainly uh, goes out of his way and works so hard to reveal himself to his church. And guys, this is a tough lesson for some of us, but we need to do the same thing. We need to be making ourselves known to our wives. We need to be working also to know our wives. And again, there's a lot of cultural influence there, and I don't think it's, you know, you, it might be kind of easy to chalk it up to some generational differences, but I think any generation represented in this room has witnessed the allure of, you know, the Clint Eastwood, the Russell Crowe, tough, uh, mysterious, strong but silent type, right? And, you know, I'm not even really knocking that. You know, we're wired differently. That's fine. You know, some of us, you know, some things do come a little easier. But I just believe that every woman deserves more than to live with a stranger. I think every woman deserves better than that. And so by whatever means necessary, we need to find ways to make our hearts available to our wives and to also access their hearts as well, to make ourselves known and to know them as well. And again, I know for some of you that, uh, that the idea of, of just you know, opening your, your heart up and spilling everything is about, you would probably rather Russell Crowe throw a phone at your head. <laughs> Listen, you know, the Lord wired us differently. It's, it's really okay. My, I, what I'm really getting, getting at is, I mean, look, look at all the different ways that Jesus reveals himself. You know, uh, obviously through, through the Word, through people like Adam to get up here and they, they're in the Word all week and then they share what they hear. Um, the Lord speaks to us directly in so many ways, dreams, visions. I mean, the ways that the Lord reveals himself to you, it's honestly limitless. And so the way that, that maybe I, you know, wrestle but find a way to reveal myself to Sarah, it's perfectly acceptable that that's going to look differently from the way that, you know, Dr. Ray you know, finds a way to reveal his heart to Candy, that Mike reveals his heart to Andrea. It, it can look different in every household. The, the point is 
is that you need to find a language that works in your house. Okay? But somehow, some way, whether it's you know, sitting down and just spilling it, play charades if you have to, but find a way <laughs> to communicate and to reveal yourself uh, to, your, to your wife. All right, so pursue, love, make yourself known. Uh, I like this, this too. Um, equip your wives. Jesus equips his church, all right? He equips his church. He gives his church all the tools that they need to extend you know, the, the kingdom. He doesn't leave us to our own, uh, own devices. He gives us gifts. He gives us talents. He gives us the tools we need for day-to-day living. He equips his church. Likewise, we need to be about the business of equipping our wives. Uh, I, let me see. Let's bring the verse up. Um, this is just one example in Scripture. Uh, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every good work. The Lord wants to equip us for every possible good work. Right? I don't think the Lord hands out gifts, talents, spiritual gifts. You know, I, I don't think he hands these things out flippantly. I don't think there's an assembly line at heaven where he says, all right, we've got to give him something. Just throw something in there. I don't think that's how it works. If there's like some burning desires in your wife's heart, if they have some, some gifts, they have some talents, I, I think it's safe to say that those things are there for a reason. And so I think it's important that we find ways to honor the things that the Lord has put in our wives and that we find a way to enable them to live from their hearts. And honestly, I think the most successful unions are unions where both the man and the woman are finding ways to live from their hearts. Now, maybe, you know, the call of your heart, you find a way to make a living doing that, which is awesome. You know, sometimes it happens outside of our, of our uh, you know, day-to-day occupation. But somehow, some way, we need to be about finding ways to live from our hearts as men and to also enable our wives uh, to live uh, from their hearts as well. Uh, one example I think that, that I think is a good example and I'll, I'll confess to you I don't know this family on a personal level but uh, some of you have heard of Heidi and Roland Baker right? A few of you she's just this dynamic uh, you know, woman she's planted thousands of churches um, you know signs and wonders and the miraculous follow her around like nobody's business um, and her husband who on the grand public scale, is lesser known, but he's also anointed and has, you know, a dynamic ministry in his own right. And so, you know, again, I, can, I confess, I've never sat in their home, and I've never witnessed the day-to-day interactions, but I, I at least recognize that this is possible. And I, and I believe this is probably what's happening, is that just because Heidi Baker is the one that's out front doesn't mean she's not a submissive wife. It doesn't mean that Roland's not the head of the household. I think what it most likely means is that he's done a good job in helping, supporting his wife and facilitating her calling. And I think, particularly in the church culture, uh, what we've seen is 
you know, the concept of man being the head of the household is that that equates the man being the one that's up front. The man being the one that's always forward. And that for somehow, some way has equaled being the head of the household. And I just, I'm sorry, I don't see that. I don't see that in the Word. What I see is that Christ equips the church. And if your wife has been equipped, equipped with something, then it should be about our business to help her be released into that, into that calling. Um, and, you know, the, the truth is, you know, logistically, practically, that could, you know, that's probably, not could, but it's probably going to mean sacrifices along the way. You know, there may be a season where, you know, the, whatever the particular ministry, the, you know, the man of the house, you know, his heart beats for, if it's not the exact same thing that the wife's heart is beating for, then, then there may be season, seasons where one's a little, you know, bit up to the forefront, and, you know, for the, and then another season where, you know, this is a time where we can really focus in on, on what the, you know, what the, the wife has been called to do. Um, but I encourage you to find ways, no matter which one may be a little more out front, to find ways that both of you can be living from your hearts. Um, you know, this is, this is something that, you know, that's happening in our home. We're really looking for ways. You know, Sarah has, has it on her heart to be a midwife, and so we've been looking aggressively for ways that she can be training. She's working on being a doula first, and so, you know, that's part of the calling that the Lord has put on her heart, you know? And so that isn't just, it would be wrong of me to say, all right, do whatever you want to do. It also needs to be about me helping find ways to facilitate her to launch into, into her calling. And so I think that's a really important example of how Christ treats the church, that we should also be doing for our wives. We need to equip our wives for their calling. All right. Let's move on. Uh, this one, I, I think probably can really speak to, to all of us, and it might sound a, sound a little general, but I do think it, it applies to uh, today. As I was, you know, preparing this message, you know, the reality just kind of started sinking in about what I was doing, and, you know, basically, at the heart of all this, I'm saying, you know, where Christ is the church, we need to be to our wives. Wait a minute, that's a pretty tough standard <laughs> to meet. Is that even really possible? You know, Jesus is Jesus. You know, he's perfect. Uh, can I really do any of this stuff? And so I kind of fell back on one of the passages that has spoken to me time and time again. I think I've spoken here. Maybe this might be like my fifth time or something, and I've probably res- referenced this verse three of those times. It's one of, it's one of the ones that just uh, speaks to me in a lot of different ways. All right. Let's uh, throw that out there. John five nineteen. Jesus gave him this answer. I tell you the truth. The Son of Man, uh, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And so uh, we are really quick to disqualify ourselves from doing a lot of the things that Jesus does because we just chalk it up to the fact that he's Jesus. He's Superman. He's got all the cool powers, and I don't. Forgetting that Jesus humbled himself, and that you know through through the duration of his ministry, he put himself in a position, and he lived in a way to model for us that doing the stuff 
is about watching the Father and doing what the Father's doing. Knowing the Father so intimately that you recognize when He's in the room. And you can join Him in whatever it is that He's doing. That's the example that Jesus lived by, and it's not just talk. This is what He did. And so if we find ourselves getting a little intimidated by the notion that, man, I have to be like Christ to my, to my family? Well, why don't you just take some of that burden off your shoulders and realize, look, all Jesus did was he just got in tune with the Father, he abided in the Father, and he just watched for his lead, and then he did whatever the Father led him uh, to do. Uh, we have this real tendency to compartmentalize our lives. And this, out of all the things I'm talking about today, this is the one that actually challenges me the most because I, I, you know, I really tend to do this. You know, we have, we have these little rooms of our lives. We have church. We have home groups, community groups. We have uh, time at home with our family, with our kids. We have date night. We have time with our friends. We have work, sports, da-da-da-da-da, Right? all these compartments of our lives. And the thing is that we are really intentional about inviting the Lord in certain of those rooms. And it isn't so much that we don't invite the Lord to the other rooms. We just aren't that intentional about inviting Him into those other rooms. But if we learn this concept of just abiding in the Lord and just really getting familiar with His voice and being sensitive to His presence what I think we'll see is that these rooms, these borders, they kind of start to to fall, and the Lord really tends to make His way through all the other rooms in our lives. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, Here lately, uh, I've been experiencing this to a little bit a different degree, where we've just been hanging out with friends, and... You know, nothing intentional as far as, like, creating a you know, worship atmosphere or anything like that. Nobody's busting out the guitar and singing songs or breaking the Bible out. But just in our fellowship, there's been a few times here lately where we just became really aware of the Lord's presence. Nobody stood up and said, you know, come Jesus. But just in our good time of fellowship together, something that I believe was honoring the Lord, we were just, you know, becoming aware that, you know what, the Lord is here. You know, and sometimes, you know, we'll talk about the Lord or who knows what, where, where that tends to go. But the, but the point is, is that the Lord is way more present than we realize in whatever we're doing. And so, you know, just this, this process of just really knowing the Father's voice, recognizing His presence, no matter what we're doing and no matter where we're at, you know, that to me is what abiding in the Lord is about. And yes, by all means, set those times aside where you're super intentional. Get alone with the Lord. Pray as a family. Do those things. That's, that's great. But even beyond those things, you know, make, it, make it a point to, to live a lifestyle that just welcomes the Lord wherever you're at and whatever you're doing. And how that applies to today is you know, if we're that sensitive to the Lord, if we're abiding in the Lord, then there's a good chance that, that we're going to be sensitive to the fact that, you know what, tonight... Maybe we should turn off the TV and just open our hearts up a little bit to each other. If you're that in tune with the Lord, then you you're, might know, hey, you know what, tonight's a night where we just need to turn our brains off and watch the TV and just fellowship and just veg out. Tonight's a night that you know we need to forget about the chores and just be together, or tonight's a night that I need to do some chores 
and make my wife's day a little bit easier around the house. You know, living and abiding in the Lord, I think, will just overall will tend to make you more sensitive to the needs that come in front of you on a daily basis. So we need to abide in the Father. And, you know, again, that's kind of general. That's something that, that is for all of us. But I did want to also address it in the context of what a husband should be to their wife. Adam spoke, you know, a few weeks ago about setting the momentum for your family. And, you know, there's nothing that dishonors, you know, your family, you know, the family that you came from in saying that, you know what, there's some things that I want to inherit, some things I don't. I want to set up my home, and I want to set momentum for my own family. And, you know, as the head of your household, I mean, you're something of a gatekeeper. You set the, you really play a big role in setting the atmosphere in your house. And a lot of that's going to come from abiding in the Father. And again, for me, one of the biggest challenges. I really tend to compart, you know, put my life in compartments and get busy. And so that is a struggle. So I'm with you on the struggle, but we can take heart in that passage in John and know that Jesus did it. He just learned the Father's voice, saw what he was doing, and he joined him. Okay. I think I just have a couple more points. These will be... Uh, these will be a little briefer, so we're, we're winding down here. Two more points. This one, I think, is also a little bit in the common sense category. Um, husbands need to fight fair, okay? Uh, we did premarital counseling with Ray and Kim, and one of the, the things that was of most value to me was when they talked about fighting fair. You know, here's the thing. Uh, you know, if we're going to go back and look again at Jesus' relationship to the church, his relationship to the church isn't all warm and fuzzies, Right? Sometimes, you know, the Lord has some pretty stern, if not harsh, words for the church. In the Bible, there's plenty of examples. But here's the thing, you know, and I know sometimes we may struggle receiving some of those things, those more disciplinary type things from the Lord, but overall we tend to be able to receive those things because we don't question his motives. We know that what's driving him in saying the things or doing the things that he does is his love for us and his desire for reconciliation. That's always driving the bus. If the Lord has a, you know, kind of a, a harsh word for you, a disciplinary thing for you, it's because he loves you and he's trying to reconcile you to himself. What if, what if we establish a culture in our homes where even when we have, even when there's something that we just, we just disagree on, if it's something, an argument that, that you know, the, a, a battle that we decide we, you know, needs to be fought, an argument that has to be had, what if we do so with the foundation that our end goal is to express love, to reconcile, to heal, and to move on? Instead of the mentality of, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. It's kind of a funny story. I think with the first year we were married, <laughs> I forgot to ask you if it was okay if I shared this one. Sorry. Um, this this was funny. One time, I think I accidentally stepped on Sarah's toe, <laughs> and it was more of a joke. Okay, let me be fair to Sarah. It was more of a joke, but her response stomped on my toe. It was funny, actually. Um, you know, there, there was no harm in that. The harm is when we do the same thing with our words. That's when it gets real. If somebody says something to you and it, and it cuts you or it hurts you, and your response is, 
and you may not even really be thinking this, but where, where you're actually coming from is you want them to feel the same way that you just felt. And honestly, in that moment, there is maybe a little bit of satisfaction. You got that zinger in? Yes, got her. Right? We've all done that. I think, probably. We've all done that. But when the smoke clears, and then we're left to deal with the wound that we just left, and that satisfaction is very short-lived. When we fight, when we argue, we can't be about, you know, revenge or hurt. We need to be coming from the place of, we're going to work through this, we're committed to each other, we love each other, you know, our heart is to reconcile this matter, and you push through it. And hopefully you can establish a culture, again, like what Christ has done. If he has harsh words for us, we know where he's coming from, from his heart. And that makes it easier to receive. If your wife can trust where you're coming from with your heart, and vice versa, then your arguments are going to be a little bit easier to get through and to get to the other side. Guys, a special word for you. The Lord takes this very seriously. Again, this is, for the time that this is written, this is more groundbreaking. Uh insight. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you uh, of the uh, gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. (laughs) I mean, look throughout the Bible and look at how easy it is to turn the Lord's ear towards you. All right? Look at all the idiotic things that the Israelites and people in the Old Testament, you know, did and all it would ever take was for them just to turn their hearts to the Lord and he would, you know, he would forgive them you know, like that and reconcile with them by just calling out to the Lord. But if you disrespect your wives, you and the Lord are going to have problems. Your wife is the most precious thing that the Lord has given to you. And if we don't treat our wives well, then you're going to have problems with the Lord. I mean... That's what I see. Yeah? Be considerate of your wives and respect your wives. If you want to have the relationship with the Lord that you want to have, this is important. And, and here, here, let me draw a line here because I think this has more, again, to do with abiding with the Lord because a lot of times, you know, we see even, uh, you know, all these stories of, you know, like pastors getting divorced, right? Marriages of, you know, within ministries that are falling apart, and you think, man, they were doing the Lord's work. Well, again, I think there's a difference between abiding in the Lord and doing work, okay? I think if you're abiding in the Lord and you're being sensitive to the Lord, then it's going to put your heart in the position to be sensitive to your wife, right? And so don't, you know, if any of you are going into ministries or you're doing certain things for the Lord, don't think that just because you're making yourself busy with church work, kingdom work, that that is in any way a means to neglect your wives and your families. Again, the Lord takes this very seriously. If you want to have the relationship with the Lord that you want to have, then we better respect and be considerate of our wives. Cool? All right, the last one, and we'll wrap it up. And this one's really short, but I think it's really sweet. Have new mercies. All right? 
look at, uh, you can go ahead and bring the verse up, Erica. Uh, in the Old Testament, Lamentations, this is what uh, the Lord says to his church. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail, and some, a lot of translations will say his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. His mercies and his compassions are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. All right, let's just think as we, as we kind of close out today. What would our homes look like? Men, what would our homes look like if every morning we wake up, we have new mercies and new compassions for our wives, for our kids, what is your home going to look like? We got Maria's donuts yesterday. We had some left over today, and that's what I had for breakfast. Day-old donuts. They were good. Tuesday at staff meeting, if by some miracle any of Mike's uh, you know, muffins are left out there, I'm going to eat one, and I'll enjoy it. How much better are they when they come fresh in the morning? What is our home going to look like? If, even if you had a knockdown, dragout fight the night before, even if you have legitimate things that you need to work through, by all means, continue to work through whatever issues you have. But what if you can meet your wife in the morning with a fresh batch of new mercies, new compassion, and a renewed sense of, you know what, no matter what, you know, I, I, you know, I love you, committed to you new mercies every morning. How will that change our homes? Ministry team, you can come on up. Come on up. Let's see. Jim. We're going to have a few different ways that you can respond this morning if you feel so led. Uh, we've got some trained uh, people that have, uh, that, that do, have been trained to do ministry here.